Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem. I am your host, Kareem Sirajuddin. Ramadan Mubarak, Ramadan Kareem, everybody. In Islam, one of our five pillars is we observe the sacred month of Ramadan, which is the month that we believe the divine sent the Quran, which is the holy book of Islam. And I launched this podcast in Ramadan 2017. In Islam, we follow the lunar calendar, making today the third lunarversary of the podcast. Just wanted to say thanks to everybody who's listened to the show, supported the show, supported me, especially my patrons who are putting their hard-earned money to keep the show brewing. Uh, please join our growing community today at patreon.com. Links are in every description of the show. Leave us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen. In today's episode, we'll be learning about health and nutrition and how it also helps strengthen the soul. And then we'll be transitioning into learning more about the lovely organization Celebrate Mercy, which is dedicated to promoting the beauty and mercy of the Prophet in the world. Joining me today is Dr. Zishan Tayyib. MashaAllah, he's a medical entrepreneur and is currently involved in, in several uh, projects in the medical industry, as well as he is a board member of the organization called Celebrate Mercy. Dr. Zishan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Assalamualaikum, Kareem. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi So first and foremost, uh, Zishan, I wanted to ask you, why did you want to go into the medical industry? What, why, how did you find that to be your calling? Because we know in the Muslim community, everybody would love their kid to be a doctor, right? So um, how was it for you? Was it kind of a similar thing where your mom told you if you weren't a doctor, she'd have a heart attack and, and, and be upset with you for the rest of your life? Or was there a different way that you were called to the industry? That's an excellent question. Uh, I would say, and in fact, I was having this conversation with my 12-year-old son the other day uh, because... Uh, <laughs> We were talking about, you know, lifestyle and things like that. And he's like, uh, he, there's a lot of things that uh, my three children kind of take for granted, uh, especially the 12-year-old and the 8-year-old. Mm. And so uh, we were joking with them and saying that, you know, if you don't end up doing this, then you're not, you're not going to, you're going to actually go downhill from here. <laughs> so with, uh, but with that said, my, my parents actually, alhamdulillah, never, never really pushed me uh, to do or become a physician or whatnot. It was actually something that I just kind of grew into. And it actually took place, I would say, about my sophomore year in high school, where I really got into my advanced placement biology class. And from there, then I started kind of exploring that field there. Uh, some of the other moms of, you know, the kids that I grew up with were kind of pushing their children into that arena. And so that's where some of our conversation was as we were segueing from high school into college. And so it would just become an, an interest of mine and started looking into it. And I think just fast forwarding to, you know, what I do as a specialist today, which is uh, rehab medicine and pain management, it was, you know, dealing with situations such as, for example, my mom who deals with chronic pain. And uh, there's other people that have been in my life that have also had some, you know, issues as such. And I kind of saw, you know, dealing with pain management as a microcosm of life, you know, even when we look at it from a spiritual perspective. You know, we all deal with pains on some level, spiritual, mental, physical, emotional, and whatnot. And so that's where I kind of led into doing what I do. MashaAllah. So really to alleviate humankind from suffering and physical pain. Yes. MashaAllah. 
Excellent. Now tell us a little bit more about um, the specializations you do have. So what exactly does that mean where you help people deal with pain? And tell us more about how that looks every in everyday life for, let's say, a patient. Absolutely. So not all pain management uh, physicians, as the label is, uh, are created equal in a sense. Mm -hmm. So there's different uh, specialties that can lead into pain management. For example, most commonly people have heard of, say, an anesthesiologist that will do pain management. Right. Uh, and that's usually the most common. Uh, my field is known as PMNR or physical medicine and rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a physiatrist. And so what we do is we look at the uh, functionality or any type of intervention that we do. We want to see does it translate into a functional improvement, mm. right? It could be mental. It could be emotional. But we're looking for small gains. We're not thinking that one medication, one injection, or one any other type of intervention is going to actually be the thing that's going to be the, the panacea for them to improve. It's going to be a combination of different treatment options. And we're not looking for huge gains. We're looking to try to set small goals and, and try to get people to move forward. Of course, that doesn't always happen, but that's what the goal is. MashaAllah. Now, how about um, your specialty in nutrition? Tell us more about that and your interest there. Yes. So when I was in residency, as I was going through it, I, I've always had an interest in exercise and nutrition. And for the longest time, uh, even my undergrad major was in biochemistry. And so for the longest time, I, I thought that I would actually end up going in and maybe being a, a trainer or something of that sort. There was a time where I thought I was going to be an orthopedic uh, orthopedic doctor because I didn't know any anything more, anything different. Love the guys, but it was very you know surgically oriented, and I do do minor surgeries, but it wasn't necessarily I guess fulfilling what I had thought medicine would be, and looking at the whole person and so on. So I knew that the pro the reason people end up with illnesses and sicknesses and problems is because they are lacking in in something. Right. So, you know, we start we start to have these, say, micro or macronutrient imbalances or deficiencies. And then we start becoming obese or we start, you know, we, we start to get more out of shape or whatever it may be. We start going down this uh, slippery slope. And then once that happens, you know, what do you do? Do you just give up or do you go and seek, you know, what I just say, you know, all Western medicine treatments just to kind of, quote unquote, either bandage the problem or what we believe to be a fix for the problem? I think people do that. People are looking for quick fixes. But what I've noted now over the last decade of you know being in this is that that's not how it works. And there's usually not any quick fixes and everything that you want and things that you want to get, uh, you know, improve, you know, to things that you want improved. It takes time. It takes effort. And it uh, and it you know ultimately it takes uh, you know a lot of blood sweat and tears to actually move forward. Yeah. So are you able to really implement a holistic model of treatment in your industry or at least at your clinics? I mean, how, tell us more about what is holistic medical practice look like compared to let's say you know you use the phrase Western medicine uses it's just about kind of band-aids or, or quick fixes tell us the difference there between what would be holistic and what would be kind of a quick fix alleviation sure so in, in treating the whole the whole person at least from the model that I I'm more of an expert in uh, which happens to be in the pain management realm uh, like I uh, aforementioned it's not about finding a single procedure or a single medication or whatnot to try to make this person better. It's about looking for potential roots of the problem. 
So when a person comes into our clinic, we're looking at a functional assessment. So we have, our, we have our own physical therapy and chiropractic program. So we'll get assessments from those providers. We're not necessarily telling the patient that they need to go down and see the physical therapist and chiropractic to get like a full blown out treatment, but at the least to go and get an assessment. So we're getting a functional evaluation. We also have mental health uh, professionals, counseling, uh, because we do deal with addiction on the other end of the continuum. And so we also have those people do uh, some consult work and some preliminary work uh, to ascertain, you know, what level of risk these individuals are at uh, when it comes to being able to deal with certain types of medications. Uh, for example, you know, we're dealing with a opioid uh, epidemic right now in the United States of America and around the world. And so that's why it's uh, that's one of the reasons it's important for us to do that risk mitigation. Uh, but again, we're getting into their social history, their mental health. And it's not something that I do as an individual because I don't have time for that. But I do have a system and a program and uh, people that are empowered to be able to do that uh, so that we can take that into consideration when we're making our uh, medical decisions for that individual. That's that's excellent. So I'm hearing you say that if a patient comes to you, um, they're likely going to be evaluated by a chiropractic a mental health practitioner, and all of that information has to be integrated into your medical evaluation. So you really try to cover the different dimensions of the human experience and condition to have a more efficient uh, intervention plan. Would you say that's, I understood you correctly? You did understand that correctly. That's absolutely correct. And, you know, furthermore, we also get blood work. So there's a lot of things, you know, we can do what's the least invasive or the, you know, what we would call like the, the, the minimal things. Fine. We're giving medications. We're injecting things into people. There's some minimal blood work that probably needs to be done. We look into, uh, you know, micronutrients. So we're looking at like vitamins and minerals and things like that, those types of deficiencies so that we can at least educate the patient and say that, hey, you got a pretty bad deficiency over here. This may, you know, this may help you if we start correcting this. This could be one of the reasons why you have, uh, a, you know, a problem or the problem that you may have. Uh, we're also looking at, you know, like a, like I said, uh, you know, hormones and things like that because uh, an individual's hormonal milieu uh, or their makeup uh, could also be one of the reasons why, you know, they're imbalanced in their life, why they have brain fog or why they're fatigued, why they can't focus, uh, why they're putting on weight and can't work it off, why they don't have the motivation. Uh, to actually go out and do activity that they need to do, uh, why they have the cravings that they do. Uh, and and also, uh, you know, just in terms of, you know, when those kind of things are not checked and they're not balanced, it just, you know, leads a person to not be able to heal or even to respond to procedures. They can't sleep, they get depressed. And it's just, you know, a long list of, long list of things that happens when, you know, certain things are just not either uh, balanced or if they're just deficient. So we try to look at all of that and integrate that in. MashaAllah. Now, as someone who studies human physiology um, in great depth and detail, um, do you find ayat of Allah in the physiology of the human being? Because I've met people on both sides of it. Like they think there's random stuff in the human body that doesn't seem to indicate a designer. Um, while on the other hand, of course, you have people that are like, this is clearly a designed creature here. Um, it's very unlikely that it evolved to be this organized biological system um, through other natural mechanisms that have no conscious guidance. What are your thoughts about that? 
you know, that's that's really interesting. So when you asked me that question earlier about uh, my interest in nutrition, when I think about micronutrients, whether it be vitamins or minerals and things like that, there's uh, there's probably several different ayah that actually talk about this. But the one that kind of comes to mind is the one in uh, Surah Al-Rahman, uh, you know, about, you know, being created from clay. Uh, Right. So when I when I think about that and where we came from, when I think about that, you know, we're from the ground and what's in the ground, right. it's these different vitamins and minerals. So we're kind of going back to our origin. We're trying to get we're trying to get, in a sense, uh, balanced out with with nature. We're trying to get, uh, in a sense, grounded right. again. And when we don't have those things in balance, how can we be grounded? So that was actually one of the uh, one of the. That was one of the uh, impetus for me to be able to kind of look into that and really seriously start looking into, you know, what does this all mean and why these things go, why they, you know, why these things go awry. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly it's when you look at the back of a vitamin bottle, you don't just have vitamin A, B, C, D, right? You also have magnesium and zinc and iron and copper. And it's like a lot of people forget that. Like, yeah, the very stuff that's in Earth itself, we're made of, right? Um, yes. and, and we forget that sometimes the issues that we have is because of an iron deficiency or because a certain vitamin or nutrient isn't there. Now, based on your observations, what are some of the most common deficiencies, you know, let's say in your, the population you've worked with, um, currently have a lack of, like, what are we missing out on with modern diets and modern lifestyles? What would be kind of your overall feedback on that? Well, I think you just mentioned a couple of them. It's actually, I think uh, people these days are actually deficient in several, in several of those arenas. And a lot of it has to do with uh, processed foods or the types of, you know, foods that we take in. So when you're putting in bad, you're not able to actually get the good. And then as you put the bad in, it actually, it kind of clogs up the system so that you can't even absorb a lot of these, these micronutrients and so on. Right. So you, you keep putting the garbage in. There's not space for the for the good stuff to go through. And when you do put it in, it, it won't even absorb correctly. So, you know, putting people on a regimen where you have prebiotics, probiotics kind of to help out the gut health so that things can potentially heal again. And, you know, you can actually start taking in, uh, you know, these uh, other micronutrients and then be able to absorb them. Just to clarify that. So so if I eat McDonald's every day for the last 10 years, is there almost like a crustacean in my intestines and my stomach which basically is almost serves like a wall so that if i'm eating salads and all this good stuff now you're saying it, it can't actually literally be pulled in or, or absorbed in because of that barrier can you tell us more about how that really works yeah so when you when you take in uh processed foods you know foods that have been modified or genetically modified and so on you're going to develop essentially like a sludge in in your in your system and you're also going to, you know, set off free radicals, you know, which is, is, a, is a form or a mechanism for damage to take place. It can take place in your arteries, which is why people can then develop, you know, coronary artery disease and other things that go along with that, uh, hearts, uh, heart attacks and strokes and so on. And then you will also, you can also develop, a, like I said, absorption earlier. And so there's, there's a healing process and some of it won't, you, you can't turn back the clock completely. Right. So that's why, you know, there is digestive enzymes out there. That's why there are probiotics and prebiotics and things like that. 
Uh, and that's if these things are done in excess or just continually, like you said, you know, 10 years of McDonald's over time. Yeah. Too many gyros, man. You got to clean that out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but, but there are ways to, you know, to turn some of that background to heal, you know, and that's why, you know, there, there's different methods, you know, it's not, you know, that there's a, a one, one model fits all, obviously. Right. Some people, right. they're young enough and healthy enough where you could, you know, just do some simple micronutrient, macronutrient balance. For other people, they're going to probably need to get uh, on some type of hormonal regimen, actually, you know, quote unquote, turn back the clock in a sense, you know, and to give themselves a, a living chance to, you know, move forward. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, there's there's a lot of other implications, if I may just throw this in as well, you know, between, you know, for, for being balanced in this, uh, you know, because there's a significant amount of you know, you know, spiritual benefit with this. You know, there's a lot of times where sometimes we just don't have the energy to get up and go and pray or to pull out the Quran or whatever it is. And, you know, the, the prophet, peace be upon him, had mentioned that a stronger believer is better than a weaker believer. And you can't be a stronger believer unless you're putting in the right things and, you know, exercising. So you have to have the fuel. And then you also have to use that fuel and that energy that you've been blessed with and, and you know, translate it into some type of action. But, you know, our body is an amana, so it's a trust to us, and we, we need to take care of it. Absolutely, absolutely. So what would you say are some um, general tips that our listeners can benefit from? Um, and give us some of the simplest ones you can think of. I know for me, like I'm a water addict. I love drinking water. I'll have maybe like five of these a day easily, Shala. you know. You know, so I'm always, and I always feel a hundred times better when I'm just hydrated and I just feel all that water flowing through. So remember, Allah says we created from clay. What is clay? It's earth and water put together and we're mostly water. So this is also the substance of life and, and purity. This is why it's integral to our religion, right? We have yes. wudu and ghusl and zamzam and, you know, Allah talks about the, the merit of water coming from the heavens to allow nourish us on the planet if Allah didn't send down rain we'd all be dead I mean we never really think about that but right we you know we're in trouble if Allah turns off the faucet from up top subhanallah subhanallah absolutely well I mean the, the coffee is actually really good too so I'm oh the great because that's my second most drunk drink <laughs> <laughs> yeah you definitely know the, the water afterwards uh I, I would say in terms of uh, you know basic tips, I think it's really going back to basics and fundamentals. I think in life, in general, a lot of us, whether it be you know from a spiritual perspective, from a mental perspective, physical perspective, I, I, I feel that because of how you know things are portrayed in social media, and you only get the kind of like the best of the best kind of flashing flashing out there, we think that one it's one of two things or one of maybe three things. One is that it's unattainable, so I'm not going to do anything and I'm not going to change. Uh, the next is I'm going to I'm going to start and I'm going to try, but then you overdo it and then you become uh, not depressed, but you you kind of lose motivation and then you and then you stop. And then the third is where you actually you actually start uh, and you actually do make progress, but you feel like I, I never measure up so that I'm not good enough. Yeah, you know, and so for me, it's it's about just making small steps, you know, uh, take, taking a step back and saying, let, let me, let me stick to basics. So whether it's practicing, you know, your Dean or whatever it is, you know, let's just start with maybe one prayer a day, or let's start, you know, just maybe even, in, uh, even opening up the, the Mus'haf, you know, the, you know, the, the book of the, the Holy book or whatever it may be, or even doing, you know, Dhikr for 15 seconds, 
So the same thing is what I usually recommend to uh, patients when it comes to, you know, just trying to change their life or their lifestyle. You can talk about, okay, yeah, your lifestyle is really bad and, you know, we can't do anything to necessarily change or turn back the clock. But that's like saying, okay, there's no hope. There's no, you know, there's no mercy. There's no, uh, you know, what's the reason for living then, you know? Right, right. And so what I say is like, okay, when we come from a, you know, from a diet perspective, uh, there's actually, you know, some nutritionists now that actually don't necessarily recommend taking out necessarily all the bad stuff, right? Because now, like, for example, the McDonald's or eating the candy bars or whatever it may be, they say, you know what, go ahead and s- fine, do that, but start putting in some good things. Start putting, so fine, you're eating a candy bar, but here, go and find like a, a fruit that you like. And what you'll notice over time is you'll start taking in a little bit of the the bananas and the oranges or whatever uh, you know that you like, and you'll start to notice that you know what I don't I, I might be able to bypass that candy bar today, or I might be able to take a little bit less, you know, and you'll slowly start you know changing over over a period of time. So uh, you know I, I can see you know obviously that there's analogies for that I think even you know even spiritually. You know, you may have an issue, an addiction, or some some problem that you may have, but continue to do that good. Don't give up. Don't don't lose hope, and try and try to plug in, you know, something good. And uh, you know, it kind of follows that whole principle of, uh, you know, if, if the overriding principle for that is, you know, the one third, you know, food, one third water, one third breath, and that's not supposed to be like the, you know, what it's supposed to be. That's actually considered the max, right? So fine, if you want a you know, a goal to look at or a goal to strive for, you know, that's, you know, that's in our, you know, in our literature, in our, uh, in our tradition, that's something to kind of look at and say, okay, well, I might not be able to get down to that one third, one third, one third. But if I start putting in some of these good things, you start to have less cravings and maybe things start to turn around. So moderation, it's all about moderation, but try to plug in the good and then the bad hopefully will start to just dissipate out. Number two, I would say, you know, exercise, right? Everybody knows that, yeah, we need to go out there. We need to be physical. We need to exercise and so on. Well, I don't need to go and run a marathon. I don't need to go and, you know, lift, you know, 300 pounds or 500 pounds or whatever it is. Let me just start with some basic things. So maybe I can go out and instead of taking the, uh, the escalator or the elevator in one place, I can take the stairs one day. Or I could probably, you know, if I'm doing a desk job, maybe I can stand up a little bit while I'm working or, you know, or get up and just move around just a little bit more. I got this uh, gift just the other day. Uh, my, my family got me a Fitbit just to kind of track, you know, these these steps. I'm never into that kind of stuff, but it's kind of cool. And it just tells you, it starts buzzing after a little while and it tells you to kind of get up and move, you know, go and take nice. a couple hundred steps or whatnot. So there's benefit from even doing like those little things. There are days where, you know, uh, I, I go to the office and I have or offices or whatnot and I have really long days. I'm not able to go in and get what I would call a traditional workout, you know, you know, with dealing with, you know, masjid activities, nonprofit activities, five different businesses, and then the family. There's days where I don't have that opportunity. So I can squeeze in probably uh, a pretty much a full workout in in about five minutes, you know, in the morning and in the afternoon at work. You know, I'll, you know, I could probably do, you know, 30 pull-ups in about a minute. I can do about 30 push-ups in a minute, and I can do a few air squats. And I have a couple Me of Me too. No, I'm kidding. 
so alhamdulillah, you know, you just you just do just that, you know, those those couple minutes worth, and that's you know that that might be the exercise for the day, but it gets the heart going, and you know, at least you have something, and you know, probably a little bit more of a practical thing for an individual. Fine, maybe like you can't do a push up, maybe you can't do a pull up, uh, but. You know, most people can squat to a certain degree or do something. You, know, you just have to find something that kind of fits you, uh, even if it's just a couple of small little dumbbells or whatever it is. And, you, you know, whatever it may be, just that even getting up and moving, maybe that's what it is. But start from somewhere and, and then try to become consistent with it. Yeah. So let me just summarize the two points before you go to number three. Sure. The first one on advice for how to improve our overall lifestyle with health and nutrition. Number one certainly moderation in food intake. Um, I've had these discussions with other people like all oh, these fancy diets and oh, I'm going to be 500 calories. It's like, look, just follow the sunnah. If you just eat less and stop what we call human portions, all that stuff is going to take care of itself, right? It's not that complicated, right? Just have moderation in your intake. The other point on that first tip is if you want to eat cookies, you know, or snicker bars or whatever, um, or fried foods and so on and so forth, start by not telling yourself you have to get rid of all that. And now you're eating salads with no flavor. That's unlikely going to be sustainable. But start injecting or incorporating healthy food choices um, with all that kind of processed stuff that you're already eating. And slowly that can help refine your palate. And I know exactly what you're talking about, by the way, because I remember getting to a place in my life once where eating a carrot tasted so sweet. Yes. You know, a date a date tasted like pure caramel to me. I'm like, wow, this is God's candy right here, you know. But if you're but if you're eating, you know, peanut butter cups, which is one of my vices, um, you know, and then you try to eat an apple or a plum, you're like, this just does not doing it. It's just me. not, yeah. So yeah, it's not gonna hit you the same way. But if you don't eat that stuff, and then when I found myself with the my palate was kind of refined towards fruits and, and healthy food, when I would go eat like a candy bar, it actually tasted almost bitter. Because of how sweet it was, it was like sugar on crack. Right. You know, so so you're suggesting moderation and slowly changing your palate by inter, in, uh, introducing uh, healthier and, and healthier foods, um, and, and making sure that that's part of your diet and slowly escalating or increasing in that percentage or that dosage. Correct. That is correct. And the second tip is, look, exercise. The body is built to move. Um, you start with whatever you can, whether it's, you know, a few dumbbells, a couple of push-ups, taking 15 minute walks, doing some stretching. You don't need to go sign up for fancy memberships. It doesn't mean you have to work out for one to two hours a day. Five to 10 minutes a day is still better than nothing. And that's still going to take you far, especially if you do it every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, American Heart Association recommends, you know, five days a week, 30 minutes of, uh, you know, moderate moderate exercise. And of course, you know, moderate is, <laughs> how do you define moderate? Uh, they, they do have some further uh, expo, you know, explanation about what they believe to be moderate. And I look at that and I'm like, I don't even know if I'm doing that today. You know, and that, wow. that's, you know, that's coming from the American Heart Association. I probably am. But, you know, sometimes I look at it sometimes I'm like, wow, how is this supposed to be the standard? You know, when, when you look at, you know, uh, 35% of the nation and, you know, that has some level of chronic pain and 30 plus percent of the nation that's actually obese you know we have like a wow. hundred hundred million people in some type of pain which obviously limits mobility and then we also have uh you know between uh adults and children about you know 90 million people that are considered obese you know? uh, and wow. there's, there's some standards for that as well that's in, that's insane numbers man yeah 
Wow. Isn't that, that's almost like what one out of four Americans are obese? Yeah, we're looking. We're looking at uh, it's about one out of three actually. Uh, so that you know, it, it ends up being about like 30 percent in terms of the obesity numbers, and then the chronic pain numbers. It's almost like four, almost four out of ten people are going to have some type of uh, you know debilitating uh, condition where they cannot, you know, they're they're considered either partially disabled or disabled. La ilaha illallah. Wow, that's intense, man. May Allah guide us. So how about tip number three on general advice to improve our well-being and health? Yes, uh, probably tip number three uh, was one that I had to try to inculcate into my life. And I still have issues with this, which is why I made it number three. But it's uh, it's sleep. And I've noted... Oh, good one. Yeah. you know, And I've noted that you know, sleep <clears throat> actually is... It's a, it's truly is a godsend. And when I, you know, in, in looking at, you know, the way, you know, the Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, advised us and asked us to kind of schedule our days, it's, it's such a, it's such a deep and beautiful thing when we look at Salah and, you know, that we have, you know, it's based off of, you know, the sun and the moon and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, we have when, when Fajr is, Lahar Asar Maghrib and Isha, you know, and the recommendation is, you know, go to bed, go to bed after, after your Isha prayer and then get up early. And there's actually, you know, there's some good evidence and, you know, things like that to show that, you know, when you go to bed earlier, you're, you're, you know, you're actually more in tune uh, with your body's uh, physiology. You, know, you had mentioned something about physiology earlier. So you're more in tune with your body's physiology, you know, because that's when your melatonin levels or your natural endogenous melatonin levels start to kick in. And that's when you're going to probably get your mo- most uh, restful and most what I call productive or anabolic sleep. And that allows your body then to grow, to heal, to respond. And then it actually helps mitigate some of these pain issues and so on. Now, if your body, of course, is lacking these micro and macronutrients that we were talking about earlier, these hormonal imbalances and so on, it's probably not going to be as a productive or anabolic sleep. But you're trying to match yourselves up once again with nature. And, uh, and of course, following the, the advice of our beloved you know, Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So sleep, I think, is, is huge. It's critical. And it's not necessarily, you know, a lot of what they put out there is about quantity of sleep. And, there's, and, I, and I can't argue with that literature. Uh, however, what I can also put forth is that it sometimes is not practical for some individuals to get that sleep. And I've accepted that I am going to be one of those individuals. I don't sleep more than four hours, maybe five hours a day. Um, there was wow. a time where I was doing less than that, and I've actually had to improve. And in fact, this Fitbit helps me track it, and I was averaging four hours and seven minutes of sleep a night uh, last week. You know, and it's just one of those things that it is what it is. Uh, but what I try to do is I try to get those cycles of what are known as REM REM cycles or rapid eye movement cycles, and that's where your your most productive and anabolic sleep uh, occurs. And they say you need at least two is what you need to survive. Three is uh, uh, is better. Two two cycles. Yeah. So the the cycle usually will hit about an hour and a half into your sleep. So if you're looking at about three hours of sleep, if if it all works out exact, then you should have had at least you know hopefully about two cycles of REM sleep. If you get about four and a half hours, which is what I'm striving for, then you can get three and and you actually um, you can get restful and healing sleep and so on. Uh, but, you know, also if your hormonal and nutritional milieu is, is optimized, uh, you, you'll actually get a lot more out of that sleep than someone else that's, you know, on, maybe on the other end of the spectrum. 
but what I am gunning for, and I have had at times, is uh, you know six hours of sleep. And six hours is where you can potentially get in about four or four of those cycles, and that's usually what's good. So when when they say you know you need about six to eight hours of sleep, what they're looking for is that is that 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 fourth or fifth cycle of REM. And so that's you know from a quantity standpoint. Right. We're looking at it from just a qualitative you know standpoint. You know, optimize what you know. You know, optimize your you know your your engine. You know, put the right fuel in. You know, if you're getting in the proper diet, the proper exercise, you know, and you've got everything else all tanked up, your sleep will also be more efficient as well. And one of the things I learned from you is that you shouldn't eat before you sleep, right? That there should be a, definitely a cutoff point of consuming anything before you sleep. I think, you know, a good general rule might be nothing after maghrib, right? Just water, if anything. Um, because when you also, some people snack at night when they work, like 11 or 12, and then they go to bed. How can that can also impact the quality of your sleep and all of these cycles and, and hormonal releases uh, being optimized. Is that accurate? That's 100% true. And I could actually comment a little bit more on that. So when you start going past that phase where you're supposed to be sleeping, what will happen is your cortisol levels, right, which is the physiologic response of stress, right? So you, you start to tax your tax your body to a certain degree with that stress or that stress hormone. That then impairs your body's ability then to produce your anabolic hormones like the growth hormone and the testosterone and so on, like your sex hormones, which then affects your ability to sleep, to heal, uh, to engage other in other night activities, uh, assuming that you're married, uh, you know, other things uh, that also just allow you to uh, get into that rapid eye movement sleep. So, and then you start getting other cravings. Right. So that's also a time where, fine, it could be food. It could be other issues that people may have. That's when you start, you know, your mind starts to wander, then you don't fall asleep. And then you start to go down whatever slippery slope that, you know, your, your trial and tribulation is in life. So that's why there's a lot of wisdom behind trying to, you know, turn off when you should be turning off so that you don't indulge in whatever it is, because now you have a physiologic response tied to it. And it has to do with those cortisol levels. Interesting. Now, on this note of sleep, Dr. Zishan, screen time is another thing now that's been introduced to our lives yes. in the last five, ten years, right? So a lot of people need the screen to sometimes fall asleep. Sure. You know, why do you think that's happening? And is that necessarily a, a good or bad thing? I see. Well, uh, so the, that blue light actually impairs the ability for the body to uh, produce melatonin. And actually, will then impair the ability, uh, the body's ability to go into REM sleep. So I'm not saying get rid of it completely, but I'm saying minimize it. Uh, or if you're going to be doing something, maybe it could be uh, audio related, right? Uh, you know, put on, you know, plug in the headphones or whatever it is. Uh, but that that light definitely is is you know is impairing our ability to get that that anabolic or that restful sleep. Uh, and, and it's also not the most healthiest way to to go to bed. But again, I'm not here to you know tell people you know don't don't do something that may already be working to some degree. But just know that you're not getting the most out of it. So this is all very um, merciful guidance and tips on health and nutrition, which leads me to my next uh, interest, which is this lovely organization known as Celebrate Mercy. 
And so tell us more about this organization. What's its purpose? And what are some of the major milestones it's achieved? Because it's, it's done some very lovely things. Absolutely. So celebrate mercy and, you know, bismillah, inshallah, hopefully I'll be able to give it justice. The the individual uh, Tariq El-Masidi, the founder of Celebrate Mercy, uh, is a very near and dear friend of mine uh, and, and, and colleague in this. Regarding Celebrate Mercy, it started back in about 2010. That's when the, the first webinar, uh, which was one of the, the ways uh, Celebrate Mercy started in terms of its outreach and so on. It was just, you know, putting together a putting together different types of uh, speakers. They could have been poets. There could have been singers. They could have been, you know, renowned scholars like, you know, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf or Imam Zaid and so on. Getting different people to come together from different backgrounds, not just from maybe one kind of one school of thought or whatnot, but just bringing it was a culmination of just all the the the, the beauty in, in in Islam kind of coming together. And putting it together on a, on a on a webinar, and the reason you know these uh, you know people agreed, all right, to come together for this cause and for this purpose, I believe, has to do with what the mission of Celebrate Mercy happens to be, which in a nutshell is basically putting out the life of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, out there for the world to see. You know what greater mission is that? I mean that's what we're supposed to be doing as Muslims anyway. But the problem is, is that people have done it in so many different ways. You know, people will, you know, there, there's people that are say, okay, you got, you got to go out and obey the laws. And there's other people that say it's about the, the long beard and the short pants, you know, being in dhikr all day or being at the masjid all day and so on. But we've missed the essence of what Islam and what the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, stood for. And what Aisha yeah. radiallahu an, you know, alluded to in saying that the Prophet, peace be upon him, that his character was like that of the walking Qur'an, right? And so, to te- you know, teaching about the Prophet Muhammad, you know, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, you know, about his life and character through the works and actions, right? Uh, you know, to Muslims and friends of other faiths is what the mission of Celebrate Mercy is. So the organization has been running now for about eight years now, uh, and it's now it's not just the webinars, but it's you know there's some really nice trailers. Trailers like if you go to celebratemercy.com, you'll see that over the years different trailers were put together. It almost it's very well put together. It's almost like very cinematic actually. You know, it's Tariq and a group of people that would go to different places, different countries, different settings in terms of being able to put all of this stuff together. So it's it's beautiful work. Uh, but then people started wondering, like, is this, you know, you know, what what is all this leading to? And so, you know, other things that CM or Celebrate Mercy has done now is uh, different campaigns. So when some type of like extremist activity takes place. What happened in you know San you know Bernardino there in uh, in California, uh, Paris? What happened to those uh, those you know those children in uh, North Carolina that were doing the service work and you know got you know killed by their neighbor? The desecration of the the Jewish cemeteries around the U.S. I think most uh, specifically in St. Louis. There's mm-hmm. there's multiple you know multiple stories where you know celebrate mercy, basically. Responded in uh, responded to that evil with good. Nope. Basically, trying to exemplify 
the way that the prophet, peace be upon him, would have recommended or himself, you know, peace be upon him, would have handled the situation with love and mercy. And so, you know, the idea behind this organization is to show, you know, again, through the works and the actions, what the prophet, peace be upon him, was, what he stood for, and ultimately what this organization now uh, stands for. You can't love something or love someone without knowing them. So the other big proponent that is that uh, to know him is to love him. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Of course. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Also celebrate, you know, celebrate Mercy also is doing events like local events, you know. So if there's, you know, people that are interested in wanting to bring bring us out there to a given location. How, how has, been, has the reception been, Dr. Zishan, um, let's say with the non-Muslim community when Celebrate Mercy tried to step in and manifest the character of the prophet? Yes. Um, tell us more about the feedback and, and the success stories. Okay, yes. That's, now, that's huge now. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Sister uh, Ustada, you know, Dalia Mugahid uh, actually kind of put it best. She said that Celebrate Mercy, even in its, in its limited way, has actually brought about, and I'm not quoting her directly, but basically she said that it, it has brought about more positive, a more positive presence in, in, the, in the media and social media realm or in the social media world, more so than any other organization ac- across the nation at this point. So subhanAllah. You know, in each of those situations that I was just allude, you know, alluding to before, those different campaigns, uh, you know, like the, you know, with what happened, you know, with those children in North Carolina, there was a uh, event that was put together, uh, you know, to feed the feed the hungry, you know, or to feed the neighbors and so on, and that brought about national publicity. You know, uh, when the ambassador uh, Christopher Stevens was was killed, and you know what was done, you know, for that was getting letters together and getting it delivered to, uh, you know, to his family. That brought about, you know, major publicity. So Tarek has been on CNN multiple times. Uh, he has got, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's done tons of, you know, interviews. Even like with the, you know, with the Jewish cemetery situation that happened, uh, you know, he ended up meeting some, you know, prominent, uh, you know, you know, Jewish uh, folks. And we have got, started getting donations now, not just from Muslims. In fact, some of the biggest donors now to celebrate Mercy are actually non-Muslims. So, I mean, like massive donations. We're not talking like little chump change. So, you know, there's there's definitely people out there that are believe that believe in this mission or, you know, and, and believe in solidarity and believe that, you know, that we can in some sense, you know, be one. And so. That's the verse that we always quote. And I know celebrate mercy. You know, Allah says we sent the Prophet Muhammad as a mercy to all the worlds. And I always find that beautiful because the word Muhammad, for those of us that don't know, it comes from Hamad, Hamd, to praise, something that's praiseworthy. So the the name Muhammad means you can't stop praising the man. Yes. You know, he has so many qualities. Um, and yet Allah chose Rahma as the one to describe him as he was sent to all the worlds for this, even though he was also sent as a guidance as a light, as and so on and so forth. But Rahma is, is that focal point, and as well as the focal point of Allah's names and attributes Himself. As we know, every surah except for Surah Al-Tawbah begins with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, even though God has 99 names. He could have said Bismillah al-Karim al-Majid, Bismillah al-Hamid al-Aziz. Uh, different surahs could have had different attributes, but always Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, which is 
really striking when you reflect. Subhanallah, Subhanallah. Thank you for sharing that. Mashallah. So, um, what? Where do you see Celebrate Mercy going in the next five to ten years? That's that's an excellent question, and that's something we, we've talked about in our in our board meetings. So, one is obviously, uh, you know, not resting, you know, where we are today. You know, uh, in terms of you know further development, you know, we continue to do the webinars, we continue to do these you know these events in different places. And uh, you know, as things will probably you know continue to happen, uh, you know these these different types of uh, what I would call uh, acts of extremism and things like that, Celebrate Mercy will still be there to try to respond to those. Uh, we've continued to have a you know a great social media presence, and I would say that going forward, you know having more formal uh, you know classes, maybe some online classes. Uh, we're looking at uh, Omra. Uh, and potentially, you know, like Hajj trips, you know, being able to, you know, get, you know, people going on on, on all of these. Uh, the specific place uh, that, you know, Tarek actually wants to try to take people, uh, and it's, he's had dreams about this, actually, is to take people to uh, Jerusalem, right? So part of the trip, whether it be for Hajj or for Umrah, is to include that, uh, is, you know, to include in that package a uh, trip to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land there. So... That is a uh, you know a couple of the a, a couple of the big things that you know we're looking at trying to do with you know, with CM, uh, you know. But the, the the big message with you know with celebrate mercy in terms of you know what I mean, and there's there's many different points. You can see that you know getting the life of the prophet peace be upon him out there is is important on so many different levels. But if I had to just you know put forth just a couple points, you can see that with the types of response that we have gotten from. Uh, Muslims as well as non-Muslims, because you know there's Muslims out there that were, say, for example, at the brink of leaving Islam, or there were people that you know that were you know there's there's statistics and numbers out there about converts that come into you know that obviously you know accept Islam and but then they leave like right away, you know, and so you know we're we're looking at those types of things and we're looking at okay, we've always believed the faith if you try to do parts of it or inculcate it into your life, that it's transformational. It definitely can be, you know, something that can, you know, change one's, one's life and one's life around them. And uh, this, you know, we're hoping could be a, uh, a means or a mechanism to actually help uh, spearhead some of that for certain people. And people have said that it has done that for them, uh, be it Muslim or non-Muslim. You know, the, you know, the other thing is, is that we have, uh, I guess it's like you know a quarter of the people right now that don't necessarily even affiliate themselves with religion, and so some people say that okay, it's not necessarily Muslims, right? It's uh, that could be happening with other people because it was it was a Pew uh, Pew study uh, that you know said that you know a quarter of people don't even like uh, attribute themselves to some type of a religious background, but they're saying now that there's actually a quarter of a quarter, uh, one out of four, one out of four Muslims that grew up. Say in a Muslim household or with some some type of Muslim ideology, don't even claim themselves to be Muslim anymore. And then they we, we went further and then started asking children, right, at these different um, you know these at these different uh, events, and they actually said that one third, right, so one out of three Muslim children don't want their friends to know that they're Muslim. This is also part of the Pew research. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 
you know? So this is, it's, it's a faith crisis that's, you know, kind of going on. It's also a branding crisis, if you think about it. From- you know, and then of course with the, you know, the Islamophobia, right? We're in the day and age of, you know, Donald Trump and and, and so on. I, I won't go into a lot of detail about that, but, you know, with the Islamophobia that's out there, we need people, we organizations and things like that to you know, basically say that that's not what we're about. You know, and, uh, you know, when I when I was if I even take a step back and I look at, uh, you know, you asked me earlier about why am I involved with, uh, you know, with, with you know, necess- you know with, with pain management or rehab medicine and things like that. I see the mission behind being in rehab and pain, like I alluded to before, is like it's a microcosm of life. And it's maybe one way that I can kind of contribute to people uh, at large at how to you know, maybe turn one's or give someone an opportunity to be empowered to turn one life back around, right? Maybe give them the tools uh, or at least lay it out in front of them so that they can potentially turn around. But the other way, you know, tying oneself, you know, or tying oneself to a, uh, to a cause, you know, you, you know, we talk about things on, on a very basic or general level, you know, tie yourself to good people and tie yourself to a good place, like the masjid, for example, Right. Tying yourself to good company and to good people is what some, you know, it's recommended, you know, throughout our, you know, our literature, right? So that, you know, because your, your dean or your practice becomes of that of your, you know, or your character becomes that of, you know, the people whom you're around or that you associate with. What better organization than the group that's trying to take the life of the prophet, peace be upon him, out there? And that, is, you know, it's Muslims and non-Muslims, you know, fine, people are buying in and people are, you know, being transformed. But... To me, this was an opportunity to basically put my my time, my family, uh, everything that God has blessed me with, these these businesses and whatever that we have, into an organization like this, because I don't see a better vehicle, that, you know, than this for me to be able to you know attain what I need in my akhirah or what I'm hoping for in my akhirah, right? I have many many issues, many many deficiencies, and many you know problems. And this is my, my, uh, you know, using that analogy that I was using earlier, this is my fruit. You know, I've got a lot of Snickers bars and a lot of other things in my life. This is my fruit, hopefully, that will hopefully, uh, you know, kind of fill, fill that, fill that void. And so that I can, uh, you know, eliminate some of that other bad stuff. I mean, you know, may Allah bless you and brother Tariq and everyone involved and all the people that have supported it. And um, it's it's really interesting because it does kind of link to even your profession, Dr. Zishan, where alleviation of pain and suffering, Celebrate Mercy is also trying to do that on a more social community level because the opposite of mercy is, you know, and, and opposite of mercy in, in good is evil and suffering and oppression. Um, and this is this is usually the essential force behind any healthy religious worldview, right, is is to bring more mercy and goodness and virtue and beauty to the world and eradicate uh, the opposite. And that's why, for instance, we have evil and ugliness happening. Because if it didn't, then there would be no opportunity for us to um, to, work, to to replace it or to work with. You know, as St. Thomas Aquinas said, a famous Christian mystic, he was kind of like the Al-Ghazali of, of Christendom. He said the evil is simply the absence of good. You know, and good is the default setting. You know, we also know this in Islam, the fitra, 
Um, Allah also says, you know, that He established the balance and the harmony in things. And then when we follow the guidance, we we basically become uh, harmonious with reality. But if we go against it, this is where we start to see oppression and corruption amongst ourselves and others, and we're only hurting ourselves, as Allah says, right? It's not affecting God. It's affecting us on a day-to-day. So I found the Celebrate Mercies projects and, you know, these uh, opportunities that they kind of uh, use to really manifest. It's just been so exciting to watch. And I'm, I'm very happy to, to see its success. And may Allah continue to make it grow. And, and uh, looking forward to see what happens next. Dr. Zishan, I know you've got a lot of people to go treat. So thank you for your time. And uh, inshallah. Uh, Allah bless you and your family. And any any final thoughts or closing statements you'd like to share with our audience? Absolutely. Thank you, Zakhar, for the opportunity. And, uh, inshallah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, bless you and bless your work. Because uh, obviously, you know, uh, you are able to, you know, bring bring people. Uh, you know, why you actually chose me you know, beats the heck out of me. But alhamdulillah, um, you know. But with everybody, you know, that you know, you've had, uh, you know, the opportunity to kind of touch and uh, you know be a part of their lives. Uh, you know, I think it's probably been if it's you know the way it's been for me i know it's uh, it's been an amazing ride for me and i'm sure it's been even greater for others and so may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to allow you to do and excel in the work that you do and uh continue to bless uh you know all your future endeavors and your family i mean Oh